Last Sunday, I left immediately after church and worked a healing warriors camp in, I was suffering for the Lord in Estes Park, Colorado. And so uh, you can see here, I think we've got a, a picture or two. Um, that is Long's Peak behind me preaching. That's a 14,000, I think, 300-foot mountain. Uh, awesome, awesome. And then I think we have a picture of some of the warriors that we served. Yes, there's the warriors and their wives. And uh, Ross and Brittany, are you here this morning? They may be at second service. I don't see... Ross and Brittany, they're coming through. They were actually at the warrior camp, and we're going to come through and uh, be with us in worship this morning. So hopefully they're not having trouble. I'll check on them between services. But with that, running right into the Freedom in Christ Friday, I just slid in and did the Freedom in Christ, and, and Freedom in Christ was just an awesome, awesome night. We actually added a talk this year called um, Leaving the Orphaned Heart. And it was, it was really neat to uh, see how we experienced that together, what it means to walk away from an orphaned heart, because God did not leave us as orphans. He leaves us as sons and daughters. Amen. That's a lot. I've already said a lot. We hadn't even got started. Dear Lord, I just pray, Father, as we uh, prepare our hearts for your word this morning, Father, continue to grow us up and grow us out for the purpose of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. For you visitors this morning, just a heads up, we're going through our values. It's a great time to visit us here at Harvest Connection Church. And as we go through our values a couple of weeks ago, I spoke on our number one value, which is the Word of God. Go online if you aren't here and listen to that, the importance of the Word of God, that the Word of God comes to us in three ways. Very important that we understand that, we know that, and we participate in the Word of God. The second thing that I taught last week was honor, which is probably one of my favorite messages just simply because I feel like we live in a culture today that no longer honors the sacred, that no longer honors the holy. As a matter of fact, we live in a very dishonoring culture today. And so we as the church have to provide an example of what honor looks like. And today we're going into our third value, which is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Now it's fruity. Come on, church. There's a lot of fruitcakes. I'm not talking about you. As a matter of fact, I don't even like the title of this message, but I know it's who we are because Jesus has said in John 15, 8, my father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So this is what it says uh, uh, to us today. If we do not, do not bear fruit in our lives, then we need to ask ourselves a very important question. And I'm talking about spiritual fruit. I'm talking about kingdom fruit, God's kingdom fruit. We need to ask ourselves a question. Are we his disciples? And as a corporate body, as a church, as the bride of Christ, if we do not bear fruit, then we need to ask ourselves, do we need to be this church? They're important questions because fruit is a requirement of God in order for us to not only be his disciples, but to make disciples. So many of us today are looking at, at, at some of the seed that we've sown and, and really beginning to receive the fruit of the seed that we've sown. And it's not always good seed, right? You know this. It's not always good seed. It's, it's amazing to me. We don't even realize that many of us are sitting here today justifying why our lives are so bad. You see, we sit in the darkness, we panter, we uh, wane, we, we want more. Life is just so bad. 
And listen, the fruit from this way of thinking with Christians being beaten up all the time, the fruit of that is not the good news of the gospel. But I'll tell you, it's the contagious news of bad news. Bad company corrupts good morals is what the scripture says. We all know that that misery loves that company. And so if we're not careful, even as Christians, we're sowing seed that is reproducing, that is not sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. God is simply up there saying, I believe this. He's saying, I know who you are. I just simply wished you did. That's where freedom Christ takes us, by the way. Every one of us parents have said this about our kids, right? We watch our kids attempt to be something or someone they are not in order to prove that they are. We parents sit back and say, I know who you are. I just wish you did. And it's our job to show them. Look, too many look at their fruit instead of the tree. In other words, Jesus said, said, make a tree good and its fruit will follow. But too many of us are trying to change the fruit in hopes that it will change the tree. It's a dangerous place to be, but we're all trying to do behavior modification if you're, if you're not careful, right? Instead of looking at Jesus to be the overcomer in our lives. Maybe today we'll look at things differently. Maybe today we'll stop trying to bear good fruit and learn what it means to focus on the tree and watch God bear fruit, good fruit through us. Yeah, but Curtis, you don't know my life. You just don't know my life. Well, what about his life? Did it make a difference in your life? Because it should, because that's how we bear good fruit. So if you'll please stand for the reading of the word, John chapter 15. You're going to be familiar with this scripture if you've read your Bible or read this gospel, read the gospels at all. All right. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, I put that in my notes in bold. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus said, unless you abide in me, you cannot bear fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then in verse 8, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You may be seated. You see, bearing fruit is a must, church. It proves that we are his disciples. One of the problems in American Christianity is this. We live a life of God for us or God for you instead of a life of God in you. Can I say that again? We live a life of God for you instead of God in you. Well, God, if you were really for me, I mean, why did this happen in my life? Well, yeah, that sets you up for disappointment because Jesus said in this life you will have troubles. So be careful with that thought. It's not that God isn't for you. He is. But let me tell you what he's looking for. He's looking for us not only to be in him, but he in us. Greater is he who is in you than he is that is in the world. Jesus said those words. See, what's tough to understand is thinking we are a product of what we've done instead of what he's done. And any time that we lessen the power of the cross then we walk according to our fleshly desires and not the desires of him who is in us. Now, let me say this again. I know I'm moving quickly. 
What's tough for us is thinking we are a product of what we've done instead of what he's done, the finished work of the cross. I didn't wake up this morning with a goal not to sin. It's a good goal, but I didn't wake up with that one this morning. I woke up to be conformed to his image, to know that I'm a son, a follower, the chosen, the priesthood of all believers. Because that is walking in his power, that's walking in his strength, that's knowing his will for my life, it's making sure that I make a difference for his kingdom because greater is he that's at work in me because apart from him, I can do nothing. You know, the world will try to tell you, hey, your guilt disqualifies you, your shame disqualifies you. They will dishonor you, but those things will never produce life in you. Make sure that you don't call this type of life misery-loving company as though it's normal. Because for Christians, for those who would choose to abide in Christ, that is not normal. We want to make sure we're not a form of a thing without becoming the thing. (laughs) I don't know why I wrote that. But let me just say it this way. We want to make sure that we're not a form of a thing without becoming that thing. As Christians, we are becoming more like Christ. We are growing. There is a depth. Too many times, as I said, we try to change the fruit instead of paying attention to the root. Some of us need to uproot, replant, if you will, in Christ, in the living water. You know, there's another story about fruit in the Scriptures that speaks of of being a form of a thing instead of being the real thing. I mean, Jesus, there's no doubt. He, he blows the Pharisees up because he just simply says, hey, you guys are whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look really, really good and you look really, really godly. Oh, man, you wear your phylacteries with the scriptures written on your forehead. You prance around. You, you're in the synagogues, and then you're actually standing at the end of the alleyways where they narrow and, and holding out money baskets and saying, just put it in here, and I'll pray for you. You look good on the outside, but what's going on at the root of things, at the root level, in your heart, if you will? This story I'm going to talk about for just a moment is the story of the fig tree. You've probably heard it, Mark chapter 11, verse 12. And seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it, speaking of Jesus. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he answered and said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. And if you skip to verse 20, you'll see the result of this. And as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree all withered from the roots up. Now, I've said this before in Old Testament scripture, right? There, there is dead and then there's salt dead or there's dry and there's salt dry. When it's salt dry, it's just shrivel up. This salt dry, this is dead because it's at the root level. So what's going on here with the fig tree? What's the point that Jesus is making? Let's just say because of the way it starts here and seeing at a distance of fig tree, he went to see if perhaps he could find anything on it. It might, it doesn't mention this, but he thought something might be on it. And, and Jesus knows all things, but he's about to make a point. In other words, you could say it this way. He was hungry. He's an example in some ways of the world at this time. 
there's, there's a worldly satisfaction in eating. And so there's something here that's pro- supposed to produce something. Let me say it to you this way in a spiritual sense. The world out there, the scripture makes it clear. The world is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed is what the apostle said. For the children of God to be revealed. In other words, they're hungry for substance. Jesus goes to this fig tree, if you will, out of hunger. He's looking for substance in the, in this fig tree because the appearance of the fig tree on the outside is really good. It's in leaf. It's got leaves all over it. Obviously, it seems like it's planted beside waters to make it grow. But he found nothing but leaves. It wasn't the season for figs. You see, many trees produce leaves and flowers simultaneously, there's no doubt, but the fruit always follows the leaves. The nourishment is provided by the sun and the leaves are necessary for the production of the fruit. But let me just talk about the fig tree for just a moment. Figs appear to be an exception. In reality, they're not, but they appear to be an exception. Fig trees produce flowers simultaneously with their leaves. So if you see a fig tree that's leafing out, it's starting to produce flowers. I I do this because they're, they're long and narrow. I've seen them. And, and as they do that, the flowers are encased in these protective coverings which have the same shape and form of ripe figs. So in other words, surprise. Oh, man, there's a fig. I'm going to pick that fig. And you pick it, and you open it up, and you're like, oh, what is this? What is this stuff right here that's falling out? All This isn't good, but it looked good from the outside. You ever got a peanut and opened the peanut and it's rotten? Or didn't even pay attention. You just pop it in your mouth and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, something's in there. You ever eat? This is the season we're picking corn. You ever pick some corn and you shuck it and you're not paying any attention, you eat? And you're like, "Uh uh-oh, that one had a worm. (laughs) Okay. Did I make my point? So the fig tree, so he goes to this fig tree. On the outside, it looks like it has figs. And he's like, man, it's out of season. Man, this thing must be an exceptional fig tree, but it's not an exceptional fig tree. The flowers are encased in this fleshy, protective covering. The same shape as ripe figs, giving a false appearance of fruit, but the fruit doesn't develop until later. When pollination occurs, which actually happens through a specific wasp in the area that will come and pollinate, The fruit, too, remains inside of this covering. The skin of a fig is actually the exterior. It looks good. It's a protective covering. It it looks like a fig, but it's not a fig. And Jesus is making a point here. This is worthless. It needs to just dry up. See, the tree that Jesus saw was very unusual in two ways. First, it leafed out early. It looked to be especially well watered by an underground spring or stream or something. It looked like it should produce an abundant amount of fruit. But when Jesus approached the tree, he found that it had neither ripe figs nor the precursors of figs. The fig-shaped modules, if you will. The tree appeared to be flourishing, but in reality, it was producing nothing of value. This seems easy to understand. You know, when Jesus says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit, it seems easy. But do we? So many of us say we do. We read his word. We think we hear his voice clearly, but we live a life that's questionable as far as how Christians should walk, should act, how they should speak. Many of us grew up in a church that was more about behavior modification, more about the fruit on the tree than it was about the root of the tree. 
You don't even recognize that you did this. I, I didn't recognize it, but I actually grew up with this theology that when I did something bad, if I didn't repent, Eloise spoke of this too, and it's interesting. Yesterday, she was giving her talk at the Freedom in Christ, and, and I thought, man, we both grew up, we didn't grow up in the same church, but the same denomination. We came out with the same theology. And the theology was, if we messed up and we didn't repent before we died, we went straight to hell. My mother, I spoke of this uh, last week, but with all of her good intentions, I talked about dressing up for dates. We used to dress up for dates. We spoke about that last week. Press our jeans, press our shirts, man. Get a shower, clean up, go to the door, and the and the the young lady would come to the door. She'd be all decked out and everything. And let me tell you something: our pickups were waxed back in the day, washed and waxed, and the carpet had nothing in it. I had black carpet. Mr. McCaslin, Miss McCaslin's here. I suspect, if not at this service, the next one. And and her husband uh, put new carpet in my old truck and put and redid the seats. And I mean, it was spotless. Every Sunday I washed that I could, I washed and waxed my truck. That's just the way it was. And man, when we showed up, pick up our dates, we we're like, come on, look at my truck. <laughs> now, it's not what's important on the outside, but what's important. And why is that story important? I don't know. Other than this, my mother would tell me before I'd leave the house. Now, remember, Jesus is in that truck with you. That forms a theology. I don't want Jesus thinking what I'm thinking. I don't want him to know what I'm thinking. I don't want him to see this. My goodness. Well, you got to throw Jesus in there. And this is how we grew up. We grow up thinking that God is looking to keep us out when in actuality, he's made every way possible to get us in. But it's up to us whether or not we confess, whether or not we believe. Romans 10.9, I wore on my belt buckle for years. 10.9 and 10.10 are so important that, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, the deepest level, the root of us, we believe, then we are saved. For it's with the mouth that one confesses, but it's with the heart, Romans 10.10, 10, that one believes. It's at the root level, but we're trying to change our behavior, hoping that it will change the root, and we've got it backwards. If greater is he that is in the deepest part of me has the power to overcome the world, then it would make more sense that I would plant my root or put my roots by that living water, and that's going to change the fruit. It's no longer in my strength, in my flesh, but it's in his spirit connecting with my spirit, the deepest level within me. Jesus said, you're already clean because of the word which I have spoken, which in some ways, when you read this, you, you know, or if you've done any type of study, professors will tell you, pay attention to the parenthetical chapters that are a little bit out uh, or the, the, the parenthetical, the parentheses, which are inside the Anyway, a professor will tell you, Curtis won't. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to, <laughs> I didn't write it down. Well, let me, I did write it down. Let me just go back. We have to pay attention to what is in, if you will, parentheses, because this, this really doesn't make sense. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. And it's that word that the disciples had believed. And so Jesus is making a point here out of, he says every branch, he's talking about fruit, but then he just jumps in there and says, hey, I want you to know something, you're already clean because of what I've done. 
because of the word that I've given to you, because of what I've presented to you, not because of what you've done. In other words, he's given you all you need to glorify him and live a life of fruitfulness. But so many of us don't believe this. Church, listen to me. Clay will always be clay unless it finds itself in the potter's hands. To find ourselves with our Lord, to listen to his voice, to allow him to make us and mold us in what his intention was before the creation of the world when he said in 2000, in 22, I want this man or this woman to be doing this thing for my kingdom. Bearing much fruit because they abide in me. Second Corinthians 3.18, I love this. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass. Now when he says open face, he's just saying face to face here. The glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. He's saying this, that when we sit in God's presence, we are changed. Now that word changed comes from the Greek metamorpho, which is where we get our, our word transformation. As a matter of fact, when Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration and he's transfigured, it's the same Greek word. So what we're being told here is that God, as we set in his presence, begins to transform us. But transformation, since it comes from the word metamorpho, doesn't mean in an instant. It means that it's a process. Figs don't just become figs. There's a process to becoming that. It's the same word that's used for a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. And what happens is we get frustrated because we don't see our fruit changing quick enough. And because the fruit's not changing quick enough, we're simply saying, well, I tried to change that, but I go back to this habitual sin. I go back to this thing that I don't want to do, and I continue to do it. And through that frustration, if we're not careful, we'll quit sitting in the presence of God, trusting that he will overcome it for us. Let's talk about some belief systems very quickly that we probably have. Let me say this. If you believe you're a loser, then you're going to have the fruit of a loser. <laughs> None of you are losers. I'm just saying, if you believe that, even, even if you've been called that, you're not. When you believe I'm almost but not quite, one of my favorite messages to preach I was almost, but not quite. Some of you have heard me preach that one before, right? This is going to be your fruit. You're going to raise children who think they're almost, but not quite. If you don't, you don't fix the fruit and change the tree. You change the tree and the fruit will follow. Like I said, we live a life of God for you, and we've been taught a life of God for you or against you instead of living a life of God in you. In the deepest part of you, the world around us is not who determines your value or your worth. It's your God who's already assigned it to you. And if this is just about you in the long run of discipleship, you need to be discipled even more because Jesus said the greatest among you will be the servant of all. You'll begin to see others and care for others and give to others. Ah, here it is. This statement, this parenthetical interruption is what it's called. Thank you, Jesus. I knew I wrote it down. It's thrown into this. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. The question becomes, do we believe that? 
What would a church look like if, if it truly believed Jesus has exchanged in full our sin for his righteousness, our condemnation for his acceptance, our slavery for his freedom, our guilt for his innocence, our orphaned heart for his sonship and daughtership? Because he lives, we also live. What kind of fruit would we produce when we walk out of here free in Christ, knowing who we are, whose we are, and what we're called to do? at the deepest level. So church, to abide in Christ is first to believe in the fullness of what he's done. You must believe in the fullness of what he's done. Too many of us have these yokes that have been placed upon us through good intentions, hoping to make us behave better. It frustrates us because we keep messing up, we keep losing hope, and once we lose hope for ourselves, we lose hope for others. The Proverbs reminds us that hope deferred makes the heart sick, the deepest part of us sick when our hope is deferred because we put our hope in too many wrong things instead of the one right thing. We wind up in a place not even realizing we do it where we care more what the world thinks than what God thinks about us. We care more what's on the outside than what's on the inside, even in the church. We live our lives making statements such as, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, at least you're saved, but that statement still leaves you a sinner. And I thought Jesus died that we might overcome and be over. Matter of fact, the promise in the book of Revelation are for those who overcome. And the only way we overcome is not through the power of our flesh. That's on the outside, but it's by the power of God that's on the inside. We say things like, hey, I'm doing better than what I deserve. Oh, come on, Dave Ramsey, you got a lot of things right, but you got that one wrong. Yeah, I get after him. A lot of things right, but that one's wrong because you are a child of the king. You are a child of the king. What does the child of the king deserve? I'm just hoping I did good enough today to outweigh the bad. You didn't. But we'll say it all day long because that's called false humility, which is really pride. Saying that I, 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 instead of what he's already done for me. And we bear that type of fruit even in the church. I just hope I make it in by the skin of my teeth. Make it to heaven by the skin of my teeth. And I've said this many times, you don't have skin on your teeth. If that's your condition for heaven, you won't make it. But we say silly things like that and we bear fruit in that we don't understand the fullness of the cross and our fruit does not exemplify what Christ has done for us. He set us free and we need to see the fruit of Christ in our lives. The whole purpose of the cross is to restore us back into the image of God. Now, this is not an opportunity for sin to live a corrupt life, but an invitation to overcome sin by the one who overpowers it within you, relying on him. Too many of us are living a life hoping to get to heaven instead of understanding that heaven's been placed in you. It's the truth. And God is looking for heaven to be expressed in this world through your fruit so that others would see it in you and be attracted and say, where are you planted? I need that living water. Uh, you don't believe that, okay. Disciples, 
show up to Jesus. When they say, Lord, teach us to pray, that's amazing to me. They, they were just openly honest. I don't know how. I don't know how would you teach me, Lord. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll give you one. It's so simple. He didn't quite say it that way, but he said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does heaven come to earth? Heaven's in you. Now experience it. The world around you is not who determines, like I said, who you are, but the one inside of you does. Most of us live from experience to experience instead of from life to life. Jesus isn't speaking about a partial gospel or a partial belief. We must believe totally in what he did in order to change the root and bear good fruit. In John chapter 6, when asked by by the disciples, what are the works of God? You've heard me say this. Jesus stated, this is the work to believe in the one whom he has sent. Because church, here's the problem. Everything is after your belief system. The root of everything we do is the depth of our belief system. Uh, Let me repeat that. The root of every sin you do, the root of everything you do, the root of every victory you have is the depth of our belief system. The depth. If our depth is shallow, the fruit will be minimal. If we back up to John chapter 14, Jesus told the disciples what was about to happen and how they would need to believe. And by the way, this is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, John chapter 14. I mean, you talk about Jesus just laying it out there. He lays it out there through the whole chapter. And this is what he says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. And then he says this, believe also in me, in what I'm doing. Now watch this. Thomas asked, where are you going? Well, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Philip stated, show us the Father that that will be enough for us. And if you have seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. And Jesus follows with this statement, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And what he's saying is this is the way it should be with us, that we are, are in this and he is in us, that we abide in him and he in us. And that's where our power, that's where our fruit should come from, church. He goes on to say, if you love me, then keep my commands. You want some application here? Applications found all through chapter 14. If you love me, keep my commands. I'll send an advocate for you, a helper, the paracletos, the Holy Spirit will be there for you. The world won't accept him or his ways. Guess what? The world's aren't, the world isn't always going to. I heard the most incredible story last night that just sent chills all through me over a man who has a, one of the highest positions in Amarillo could lose his job and took a stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was, I can't share it. But it was, it was one of the most incredible things I've heard in 10, 15 years. And I was like, oh my goodness. It's not the school board. It's not any of that. But it's something that's much bigger. And I was so impressed. Jesus goes on to say, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. John chapter 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then he says this, my joy is complete in you. It's complete in you because you are my greatest creation. So church, we've got to abide in him. It's our goal to abide in Christ. We're told to seek him first, Matthew 6, If you want to know how this is done, you want application, Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you.
Wake up seeking him first. It's time to plant a seed, to water a seed, to see the seed grow, to find our depth in Christ. See, we give up too early. Too many times we want God for us, like I said, instead of God in us. We want to live our lives the way we want to live our lives and call on him when we're in desperate need. But he's saying, no, 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 you need to be in me all the time. Clay will always be clay if it doesn't find itself in the hand of the potter. And, and look, I'm not just talking about finding your ministry here. As a matter of fact, I never read a scripture that said ministry will set you free. But I have one, I have read one that said the truth will set you free. Find yourself in the truth of God, in Jesus. The root will change the fruit. Our natural tendency is to change our fruit in hopes that it will change our root. But God works from the inside out. In John chapter 4, there's a story of a woman at the well. She's a Samaritan. Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. Yet Jesus speaks to her and asks for a drink. She's confused but gives him a drink. He tells her to go get her husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you've stated, right? You don't have a husband for you've had five husbands and the one you now live with is not your husband. I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> no, he's God. But here's the awesome thing. Jesus is speaking to her. He's trying to say, look, the world has tried to give you an identity, but I want you to plant in living water. I want you to know worship. And then in John 4, 23, he says, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship in the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such to worship him. Verse 24 is so important. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Now, I used for this the New King James Version because it does something that some of the other translations don't do. You will see when it's expressing the Father and His Spirit that it's capitalized. And I believe that's very important. I believe that was very intentional. And then when it's talking about the people worshiping in spirit and truth, that's the little s. And what he's saying is, is that the Spirit of God will identify with the Spirit inside of you. And when that happens, we plant in the deepest level of our God. It's in the heart, if you will, not in the mind. It's in the heart. And that big S, I have to be careful with that, and little s are called to connect with one another. And this is where flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But watch, it's our spirit that accepts the sonship and daughtership, and we recognize our transformation. It's in the deepest level. Nicodemus approaches Jesus in the night. He's a Pharisee. As a matter of fact, he's a religious leader. And he approaches Jesus, and what must a man do? I mean, he's curious. He's asking some questions. And Jesus said something to Nicodemus. He said, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. In other words, you will see spiritual fruit when you plant yourself in Jesus. And here's the cool thing about spiritual fruit. It starts really, I believe, with our families. But here's the cool thing about spiritual fruit. It's not temporal. It's eternal. My goodness, I had ministry time with a woman yesterday who had lost her daughter. And as we spoke, she was concerned about some different things. And I was able to say, hey, wait a second. <laughs> what Jesus did is done. It's eternal. This is eternal fruit that we're talking about here.
This is the fruit that goes on from generation to generation. And that's what we're after, church. We're always hoping to make it to heaven instead of realizing really heaven is in us. And we should bear that fruit. When the disciples, as Jesus, and they came to Jesus and they asked how to pray, he was willing to teach them how to pray just as he's willing to teach us. It's the reason why we have a discipleship church. It's the reason why we say fruitfulness is in our bucket because if it's not there, then we have to ask ourselves a question. Are we the church and are we his people? It's the reason why Sunday morning is to provide an atmosphere for people to experience God and encounter Jesus. That's all it's for. We can't let it get hijacked into something else. It's the reason in our funnel, Sunday morning is the top thing in the funnel. The next thing in the funnel is life groups. And, and it's the reason why we have these life group leaders who have a leadership guide based upon the message so that we can disciple and keep taking people through this funnel. The next thing through the funnel is our membership class to say, this is who we are. These are our values. This is how we want and encourage you to live your life. And if it's not you, we're okay with that. Why would I say something like that? Because I say this many times. We were called here understanding we're not for everyone, but we are for someone. This is what's in our funnel. The next thing are our events, our ministries that take place. And our prayer is that as people are poured into this funnel, they come out a disciple of Jesus Christ bearing much fruit. Bravehearts Men's Ministry, Titus, Women, Women's Ministry. We have Grace-Filled Homes that goes down south and learns from Sally Sweeney how to raise a family, how to set a table, how to do these things in order to show a home of honor and have that. All of these things are what God has called us to, to provide an atmosphere where people experience God at the deepest level. He did not say, Jesus did not say, go out and get them all saved. He said, go and make disciples. And that's why we're here. And that's why you're here. I'll ask if you'll please stand. And if the altar team would make their way forward this morning. We're here to pray with you, to pray for you. We encourage you online. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for bearing witness with us. Once again, we ask for you to pray, to sit with your King Jesus. It's not hard to do. Be honest with him. Sometimes I sit there and say, God, I don't have time for this. And he says, well, then you messed up, not me. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I'm glad you're honest. But I'm not going to give you more than 24 hours in a day. Priorities are what makes the difference. Priorities are what will make our fruit continue to bear more fruit, eternal fruit. We're here for you, and we'd love to pray for you. Dear Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this, your time. We thank you for this, your kingdom business, and your kingdom experience in us. Father, draw us near. Disciple us as we disciple others. Encourage us as we encourage others. Father, take us from these little petty statements that we think are of you, and it shows such humility when we say them. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Better than I ought to be, but I shouldn't even be where I am. Lord, we are children of the Most High God, and you gave all the exchanges so that we would be found right in your eyes. So help us to live as victors and not victims and produce that fruit 
30, 60, and 100-fold in Jesus' name. Amen.